and welcome to this, the ninth episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker, and we are back coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar, and very nice it is too to be back after the Christmas break in here. So here we are for the first podcast of 2012, and thankfully it's still all going brilliantly um we've had kind of significant chart success over the christmas period i know some of you may have seen me tweeting and facebooking and all that about us uh, over the christmas break um but it's been it's been really nice to see just steadily creeping its way up through the charts in the performing arts subsection of the podcasts and then into just the arts section of the podcasts and then up into just the general scope of podcasts that are out there and uh, and really exciting iTunes selected us for inclusion in their new and noteworthy section of their main podcast page uh, a couple of days ago, which means we're up there with the likes of Ricky Gervais and Jamie Oliver and all these, you know, big heavy hitters. And they had us up uh, featured there as well, which is lovely to see. Hopefully it helps get the word out about the podcast and what we're trying to do here to get out and promote and support and celebrate all that's great about Irish theatre. And speaking of things that are great about Irish theatre, we had a lovely bit of news um, this week when it was brought to my attention because I hadn't seen it originally that Emer O'Kelly in the Sunday Independent had selected Fight Night the the Rise production show that we had working earlier this year had she'd selected that as one of our highlights of the year which was a massive compliment and a really useful thing for us in terms of keeping the awareness about the company out there for people and uh, just a lovely vote of confidence um you know Fight Night is a show we're incredibly proud of and something that we've worked our asses off on over the years and obviously with me doing the physical end of things it's you know there's been an awful lot of literally blood sweat and tears put into it so it's nice to see that get uh, a little bit of recognition although I suppose if you start believing the nice things critics say about you, then you've got to say believe the bad things too. So who knows? But it's nice to get that that vote of confidence anyway. So as ever, we are bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never, ever charge for these interviews, but we are looking for you to put your money back into Irish theatre. So if your budget allows it, go and buy yourself some tickets for a show at one of the bigger houses, be that the Abbey or the Gate or wherever. If maybe your budget isn't quite stretching to that in the aftermath of the Christmas, find one of the smaller fringe venues where you might get a show for 10 or 15 quid, or if even that is outside of your price bracket, maybe go and look and see is there a theatre production running a, a campaign on fundit.ie, the, the crowdsourcing website, and throw them a fiver. Donations there start as low as a fiver, and there are always great rewards there for uh, for those donations. Of course, there's many ways you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, whether you do that in person or over a cup of coffee. Uh, maybe share the link to the podcast on Facebook or retweet the link that we'll put up on, uh, on on Twitter. You know, the more you spread the word about this podcast, the more we can spread the word about Irish theatre and about what shows are going on and getting people out there to support it. Um, if you can go over and subscribe to the podcast, that'd be great, over on iTunes. Uh, obviously, you can stream it at fightnight.ie and at radiomade.ie, um, but, you know, easier if you just go over straight to iTunes and, and subscribe there. If you're going over there, go back and listen to all the other episodes we have. Leave us a review if you have a minute. That does, uh, that does wonders for us in terms of searchability over there there and keeping us up in the charts and whatever else Uh, and if you don't have time to write a full review maybe just click to rate us there's a a five star system there and it is literally just a click of a button if you can give us five stars we'd really appreciate it but whatever you can do that'd be great and also you can follow us rise productions on facebook we're at facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland or you can follow us on twitter where we're at rise ireland at rise ireland over on twitter 
So that brings us to our guest this week. And as regular listeners will know, we have two traditions here on the podcast. The first one is where possible, we like to get a story about Tyg Murphy getting naked, probably on tour somewhere, uh, included in every episode. But if we can't get that, the other tradition we have is that any time the name of Kathy Belton is mentioned, I have to confess my undying love for her because it's true. And so brilliantly this week, our guest is the phenomenal Kathy Belton, um, you know, just the, one of the most amazing performers we have here, who has a, a stunning career both on stage and on screen. She's one of those almost unique people who has managed to have a really healthy career in both disciplines or both codes, if you like. Um, a stunning, stunning performer and one of the nicest women you could meet. Uh, a lady who really took me under her wing in in the early days of my career. Um, you'll hear us talking later about our time on Plowing the Stars together where uh, where I was understudying for Aidan Kelly, who was due to be having his first child at the time. And, uh, and so even though there wasn't a formal understudy system in place at the Abbey at the time, I was drafted in to, to understudy Ferredo so that we'd be ready to rock and roll if needs be. And uh, and I have to say, it was it was a phenomenal time to be working with Cathy so closely on that. Uh, she was playing Nora at the time, and we got to work so well together, and she is just an absolute diamond. And, and you know, those two performances that I got on stage as Jack Clitheroe opposite Cathy Belton are, are two of the, the happiest memories I have from my, from my 15 years in the business. She's just a total gem, and I feel really honoured that she uh, that she decided to come in and have a chat to us. So here it is. This is the brilliant Cathy Belton. So here we are with the wonderful Cathy Belton. Um, thank you so much for coming to have a chat to us. Absolute pleasure, Angus. Let's go back, as we do every week, to the very start. When was the light bulb moment for you, or was there a light bulb moment for you to get God, into the theatre? It's, it's a question I ask myself all the time, but I do remember, if I had to go really back and really, really honest, and be really honest with myself... I had a grandfather who was a great storyteller and I think that's where it came from. It wasn't a conscious thing, but I remember it's the first time that it took me out of myself. And the man, um, Michael Tierney, he never travelled anywhere outside Ireland, but in his head he travelled all over the world and he had these incredible stories about a little black boy with red hair called Nonin in America, a little house servant. I mean, God, so on PC at the time! (laughs) Um, but they were amazing stories. That's the earliest memory I have of storytelling, and I do believe that's what we do. Yes, yeah. we're storytellers who give voice to characters that we are looking up to play. That was the first time, and so then there was a whole. My aunts were great storytellers. People got together, and it was even something that would happen that day. And it's the way you say it, mm. you know. And then my parents, they weren't. Obviously, they weren't theatre goers, but everybody went to the Druids in Galway. Right. So you just go to the Druids. So as kids, I remember we were brought to the Druids. Now, sometimes I was dragged. I remember being brought to see Waiting for Godot and throwing a tantrum out in Druid Lane afterwards going, you brought me to see Waiting for Godot and he never came. How dare you? But that place on Druid Lane, on Chapel Lane, was magical. And I think that's where I first went oh my God, what is this thing? And I remember seeing Conversations of a Homecoming, the original production. And Which see, you subsequently played in at the Abbey, didn't you? No, I played no, Christian Week in the Life of a Grocery Assistant and ah, right, Whistle okay. in the Dark. Whistle in the well. Dark, yeah. okay. Um, but Tom Murphy, for me, yeah. was my, my first love and is still one of my biggest loves as uh, Irish playwrights go. Um, and sitting there on a chair and couldn't believe in two hours that they had transported me to another world. 
and coming back with a, at the end of the show and going, my God, that's an incredible experience that you pay to sit in a seat and then be brought to this world. And I forgot where I was, who I was. I was in the bar in tune with those people. I mean, amazing. Marie Mullen, Sean McGinley, Ray McBride. Uh, extraordinary storytellers, actors. And I remember coming out of the lane that night when we were walking back to the car and mum and dad were talking about tomb and uh, you know people who had left to go to America talking about the play what a play should do is start us all looking inside and I was walking behind them and I went I want to do that I want to be in that 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 world um I didn't know how I was going to go about it I knew I had an imagination because I was from Galway and I wanted to be a professional ice skater and I wanted to be a professional show jumper so the imagination (laughs) was huge and I think that could have brought me places and then I was lucky enough to um, go to drama classes by a woman called Rebecca Bartlett and she was wonderful and she used to act with Drood Um, and uh, she put me up for auditions for this thing called the National Youth Theatre that I'd never heard of ever but I remember going up to UCG to audition in a room with these people and suddenly I was going through to um, an audition in Dublin for a production called The Crucible, directed by Ben Barnes, um, designed by Monica Frawley, and lit by, God rest him, the wonderful Rupert Murray. Wow. And I got it. And that famous National Youth Theatre Crucible was my first experience of theatre and working what I thought would be for the rest... What, what it would be like to be a profession actor. Mm. And fair play to Ben. He never condescended. He treated us like professional actors. And this really? was the year of my leaving cert. Wow. So it was the year when every... What was I going to do? Mm. You know, I thought I wanted to do this. And in the meantime, I had applied for English and Drama in Trinity. And right. my parents were happily um, comforted in the fact that there was no way I would get it. So they let me put it number one in my CAO form. And I got it. Um, and fair play to them. They didn't know what I was going to do. And I was quite young for my age as well. So I knew training for me at that stage would have crushed me. Um, I right. was just, I was a very young, 17-year-old, very young. Okay. And fair play to mum and dad. They said, you need a couple of years in college to grow up. And, and fair play as well. They went... If you can do the other degree, something to fall back on, then yeah. we've got a deal. So then I saw this course drama in English, so I thought, I can do my drama, and I'm doing the deal. And those four years in Trinity were the happiest. They were, ext- I adored it. I loved every second of it. And was that, was, was that, at that stage in your head, specifically as a stepping stone to getting into the business professionally? I think so. Yeah. I wish I was more copped on to go, here's how, I'm going to make a game plan. Right. Um, I think the game plan kind of just happened as I kind of grew and become, became more aware of what it was to be an actor. And that crucible, the National Youth Theatre, um, most of the cast in that year went into the business. There was people like Noel Brown, right. Catherine Walsh, Anthony Brophy. <laughs> we were all in the crucible, just on a leaving cert. Um, Alison McKenna, uh, Brian Thunder, David wow. Parnell. Wow. And it was an extraordinary year. It really was. And the crucible. I yeah. One of the most amazing plays ever written. Yeah. Um, and that was so successful, we toured to Limerick for a week. And we did a week in Lombard Street theatre which is no longer and then it was so successful it went to the Olympia for two weeks when we started in, in October 
And and then I was completely bitten. So I thought, this is... That's amazing. So I had just started college. Yeah. I got into Trinity. And my first two weeks was on with the National Youth Theatre's production of The Crucible. That's amazing. And it was... I felt so lucky and mm. so privileged, really privileged, um, to, to be thrown this. But it must have felt so excited to go, this is what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And here I am, 17, 18 years of age, presumably just moved up to Dublin to the big smoke and, and it was all happening. Oh, like you're yeah. on stage in front of however many hundreds of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was playing Mrs. Putnam at a tiny part. Catherine Walsh was Elizabeth Proctor and she was extraordinary. I remember looking at her every night going, you're wonderful. Wow. You know, it was wonderful. Um, everybody was wonderful in it. Um, I think it, I was still, as I say, I didn't have a game plan. That happened. And then I was very lucky to be in Trinity, where I lived in players, basically camped in players, (laughs) and just ate and breathed theatre. And the English was an amazing degree, because I got to read all this stuff, and and it was great. And then in my last year, I did the Erasmus Exchange, and I went to Paris, and I studied drama and film. Wow. The French was a bit brutal, but it, it got less brutal. And I went with um, Emer Shaw and Leslie McKim, Leslie's a film producer now, and Dominic West, wow. who's a very well-known actor now. And um, we had a ball, and we got to see great theatre. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. I was so lucky. It's how it started. I got to see great theatre. Mm. And I think, I, I just feel lucky when, I, when the lights come down in the theatre. I absolutely love watching people on stage. And is that still the same now? When yeah. you go to theatre now, is it still a magical thing? Or are you going, oh no, that's wrong, he should have done that, no. she shouldn't be playing that? I or mean, some, some shows are great, some are bad, but there's always something terribly magical. Hmm. When the lights go down, you're sitting in a room with loads of people and, and nobody knows what's going to happen. This is live theatre. I absolutely adore it. It relaxes me. It, I, I love it and I love seeing friends of mine up there and then people I don't know and it's funny anytime I travel I love going to see shows in other countries right yeah and yeah I think it's it's a great thing so talk to me then about the transition from being camped out in players through to then going okay I'm going to make a stab at this this is how I'm going to mm-hmm. pay the bills I finished Trinity um, I got finished my fourth year and graduated and that year myself and a friend of mine Paul Lindsay decided to set up a company called after a health food shop on Marlborough Street, which is no longer there, called the Crucial, Crucial Trading Theatre Company. And we did a production of Home Burial by Robert Frost. We adapted it um, in players that summer. Um, we didn't make a penny, but God, we had a ball. And what a great piece. And it was me and another actor, Andy Kilroy. It was a two-hander. We did that in players. And then I got an audition for Island Theatre Company in Limerick. Right. And I got that. And it was Home is the Hero by Walter Mackin. And that was my first professional gig in Limerick, in the Bell Table. And I had a ball that summer. Um, and then <clears throat> I started working with Arklin Tahija, which was yes. a wonderful Irish language theatre company. Wonderful play by Limo Morhella. And my Irish wasn't... It was okay, but we were not Gael Gores. Yeah. But I actually learned more Irish when I started to act in Irish, and I loved it. And I did a play called Chinnacanog by Limo Morhella in the project. And then things started to get a bit good... In that I am. Um, Gary Hines gave me a great break in the Abbey with Mona um, in Tom Murphy's Crucial Week of the, the Life of a Grocer's yeah. Assistant. It was a great part and playing opposite my heroes, Marie Mullen and Sean McGinley. So I was 
you could have killed me then. <laughs> and, uh, and after that, I got my agent, Lisa Richards, which right. was fantastic. And then things started to, to, to roll. I started to get work. Um, and I just felt so honoured to have got to the Abbey. I still rem- remember walking out onto the stage for the first time in the Abbey and um, for a f- costume fitting with Monica and looking out into the auditorium going, this is one of the most incredible places on earth. How lucky and honoured honored am I to do this? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, you're talking about you having grown up watching these guys in Druid and then getting to be on the Abbey stage with them. Exactly the same thing happened to me. I mean, when I got the gig on Plough, it was relatively soon out of drama school for me, and I was up there with Kathy Belton and Owen Rowe and all this kind of thing. And, and so it was a, a very... It is an amazing experience that the people who, you know, through your formative years, you're paying money to go and see on the Abbey stage week in and week out, and now you're up there sharing it with them. It's That must have been an amazing experience. Well, it's funny you say that, because you're only as good as the person opposite you. I really believe that. I yeah. think... You, like there's a line in um, in the prologue to Play by the Western World where Singh says all art is a collaboration and I really believe that you're nothing without the other person's eyes yeah. and, and, and listening I think is one of the most sexiest attractive things I've seen on stage so that's what's so brilliant about you know we working together I think we get you get to work with great people yeah. and suddenly then we're all in this just collaboration together and that I remember you were do you remember then you took over as Jack yes and indeed and you were, ex- uh, and wonderful. You were spectacular through that whole process that was when the wonderful Aidan Kelly who we spoke to last week um, was expecting his first child with Nancy that's right that's and, right uh, and, and so you we stepped did. up I did indeed and uh, I had a great time speaking of Plough the Stars is there any part in Plough that you haven't played <laughs> I think you've yet to play Jack, but apart from that, you've covered so all I the others. I think I'd make it lovely. Lou, Doc. Lou, Doc. Don't think about your experiences really with sad. that play, because it's a great play. Yeah, but uh, who have you played in it? Everyone. <laughs> yes, Plowing the Stars. Is, I love Plowing the Stars. I right. really do. Um, I have played Nora. I have played um, Rosie. Yes. And I have played Ginny Gogan. So, uh, yeah, it looks like... Amazing. <laughs> of a lot. Um, How weird is it to come at the play again from those different perspectives? I think it can only add more texture to performance. I always felt it was the same I kind of um, would play boy where I played Peggy and the Widow. And I think, <laughs> um, not at the same time, by the way. Because that's something I'd like to see. That would be quite a production. very interesting. And now with the cutbacks Absolutely. of one woman playboy. I, play I, woman. I would buy the ticket. I would buy the ticket to that. Um, I think it can only to be marinated in a play for that length and then to get a gap and come back to that play. What happened with the plough that we did was that I played Rosie and then Tina Keller, who wasn't available to go on and play Nora, and I took over from Tina. And it was so lovely after being in that production with wonderful Tina Keller, who was wonderful, and then to get to play something... So I have been in that atmosphere yeah. and been in that rehearsal process and then go back in. All you can do is add detail and, mm. and it's a bit of a luxury that we don't get. Yeah. Do you know, when you look at, you know, Russia and the Moscow arts that they spend months in these plays, you know, I think, I think it's really interesting and it's the nature of an ensemble. So, and then the same thing happened for me when I did play by the Western World in the Abbey. I played first the Widow Quinn, which was odd, and Alvin Foire played 
um, pegging Mike in a production, The Peacock Downstairs. Right. Um, and that was wonderful. And then I got to play Pegging in another production in the Abbey. And it was great having been in that journey playing another part um, to go back into that Playboy. Yeah. And then what I did was really great is that I then took over and went to Japan with Druid's production of Playboy the Western World <laughs> as Pegging opposite Aaron Vanahan. So it would, I think it can only add, I think as actors, like people only experience and living through stuff just makes you better and better, doesn't it? So yeah. I think the luxury of having played so many parts in Plough um, was that I got to know and love that play even more. How good a part is Nora? I think Nora is one of the most extraordinarily terrifying, mm-hmm. um, terrifying, spiteful, gorgeous, magnificent parts ever written. She's as tricky as bejesus, yeah. but she is, I think, one of the most beautiful parts I have ever played because of that edge. Yeah. Um, I've never played, well, I think maybe Elizabeth Proctor loves that much, but Nora, I've never played somebody who loves as much as her. Uh, loves, and I think that's the, the key. And mm. if you love that passionately, then you're on an edge of going mad with love. Yeah. Um, she's a joy to play. She really is. From that first scene, you know, her setting up her little doll's house to that wonderful epic journey through the... Yeah. The, the 1916 rise into this awful domestic tragedy that happens in the last act of her losing her child and her husband and it, it was a joy but tricky yeah. you have to keep it on you know it can't get sentimental or you're yeah, you're sending the audience out the door going yeah. oh for the love of Jesus <laughs> shooter killer you know but it yeah. was a joy to play wow it's because I think hands down it's her show I mean I think, I think yeah, it's Nora's play uh, and I think if it's, uh, She's I, the heart of the play. Yeah, yeah, I really think so. And yeah. I think if you can get that right, which I think you did spectacularly, even though I'm not just saying it because you're in front of me, <laughs> um, it, that I think it can. That's that's where the show will really sing. And yes, there's the there's nice moments with flute there, and there's the there's the political stuff around it. But I think that if you get that, like you say, the heart and the soul, of yeah, right, then that's where the show works. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and then everything else around that, it's like a little planet, so you know, can happen. Not to take, I mean, the amazing characters of Bessie Burgess yeah. and Ginny Gogan, they're phenomenal. They're all epic. Yeah. But there's one little epic centre, I think, you know. It depends yeah. on a, you know, a director's interpretation of that as well. But it's extraordinary that this man, Sean O'Casey, wrote that, the insight into a woman. Um, well, he just writes amazing yeah. for women. But well, do Irish writers... <laughs> In general, write well for women. I mean, you talk about playing yeah. Peggy Mike as well. I mean, but there are, these are saying, big, uh, proper, great parts that anyone would love to play. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I don't. I don't know. Like, yeah, I think Irish writers do write great women's parts. Maybe not enough. Yeah. You know, um, obviously, um, but I do. There's this amazing insight. Whether they love them or hate them or disrespect them I think they managed to write great epic journeys for for women and maybe that's the nature of women in, in Irish history though I mean we have extraordinary like from Grania Whale to yeah. Maud Gunn we have extraordinary um, examples behind us so you know is is it tougher this, I always feel really uncomfortable talking about this 
because it, I feel like there's no way I can talk. I spoke about it briefly with Aoife Spillane Hinks, who is a female director, but I always feel like I feel as uncomfortable talking to a female actor in the way that I would refer to someone as a black actor or a disabled actor or a male actor or a female actor. Is it tougher for women? Is it tougher to sustain career wise? Well, there is less parts for women. That's okay. a fact. That okay. is, and the number, and you know, there is still, there is, you know, for every play you do, there is more men than women okay. on the general average. Yeah. Um, and I do remember a period years and years ago where I, I decided I was giving it up that I loved it passionately, but I couldn't handle the insecurity, the downtime. Yeah. I still haven't figured out the downtime very <laughs> yeah. well, but I did a lot of horse riding last year, which is great. So, you know, I think every actor, and you have to keep downtime just go this is refueling this is you have to learn you have to observe the world around you to bring it back into your next parts but there was years ago and I decided I was going to go back and I was going to do a degree on top of my degree and be a national school teacher because I I think if I wasn't that's what I'd like to do um I think because you're still standing up in front of a group of people (laughs) exactly (laughs) and maybe they wouldn't be as harsh because they're too small to pick on me um, so I did, and so in order to do that, I got a job in the CAO office in Galway, in a room full of amazing women. There was about twenty women in this room, and I went to work every day. And I was going, "Yes, this is what I'm going to do." La la la. And I remember Lisa Cook ringing me and sitting on a curb in Galway, going, "No, there's an audition we have." And going, "No, I'm not doing it anymore. Goodbye, thank you." She's going, "Yeah, I think you've lost your mind." And I went, "No, I found my mind." And then, bless him, Mike Diskin in the Town Hall Theatre walked into the office. I'd been offered Eclipsed about the Magdalene Laundry, um, written by Patricia Brogan. And it was one of the first, she was a nun who worked in the Magdalene Laundry and wrote this incredible play about the Magdalene Laundries way before. This is yeah. going back 20 years. It was extraordinary at the time. The wow. mind, the, like groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. And he said, you're a fool not to do this. And I went, no, I'm doing this. So he arrived up to the office, walked down to my desk and he said, I think you're really stupid if you don't do this. And I said... Okay, how much am I getting? And he told me, and I said, oh, yeah, well, that won't pay more than here. So I can do the end. And I got that. And on tour in Cork, somebody was looking down on me. Um, I got an audition for Glen Row, uh, touring this play, right. Eclipsed, which went really well. And I auditioned, and I got this part, the part of the vet called Lucy Riley, who came back into Glen Row and bought Dick Moran's house. Sure, right. I was in my element. Um, because Glen Row was an uh, you know, institution for us yeah. on Sunday night. Working with amazing people, amazing actors, Mick Lally and Mary McAvoy and yeah. um, Emmett Bergen. And, uh, there's so many extraordinary actors with a great part. And I think that was my way back in, in that it gave me the confidence, it gave me security for yeah. a year. I, I did it for two years. Um, and in the meantime, I was very lucky to work. Lynn Parker offered me a part in Tartuffe in the Abbey. And bless Paul Cusack, and maybe because he has sisters who were in the business, um, he understood my need to do theatre and give me time off during Glen Row to do this. He was v- they were very good at working around me. But those, those, those two years in Glen Row were so happy. And, um, and it did two things. It brought me back into getting over myself and going, you're, you're an actor. Deal you have this. to deal with it <laughs> for the rest of your life. You're never going to make money, um, but you're going to be happy yeah. and you're going to have to work in your downtime and your bloody confidence. Yeah. And I got camera experience day after day after day and it was 
invaluable to be out there. And because I was a vet, I was on location all the time. So it was like being on a, yeah. a movie set that wasn't studio. Um, looking, looking at how they worked that camera with great directors and great cameramen. Um, and really good old times. And with a show as iconic as that, I mean... Even just the lifestyle around that is like presumably that's getting stopped in the street every day when you go out because it was still. I think it was coming to the end by the time okay. I came, so it wasn't in the heyday. I do remember going down to Air Square when there was an AIB machine being opened by <laughs> Miley and Dini <laughs> and being behind a barrier. Air Square was full, thousands of people to open the bank link machine. Wow. So it wasn't as big as that when okay. I got to it. So. Okay. But yeah, it was lovely to be recognised and. Um, and being people were lovely, you know. Yeah. I mean, I did get a lot of jokes about so happy you put your hand up a cow's ass yet, and that was classy. The, yeah, classy jokes. But uh, but like you say, the, just just the experience, a bit like with theatre. If you get a long run with the show, just to be doing it day in day out it does so much for exercising those muscles. But the thing absolutely. of in front of the camera, yeah. And I got to act. It's funny because all the acting I did was inside in a theatre, so I got to act outside. Yeah, which is. What, so you weren't like acting, you know, being hot or warm yeah. or whatever, or on, uh, you know, on a farm. You're on a farm, yeah. and and then having to strip down and to refine, refine all the time was a great experience. That's very interesting, and because because more so than a lot of actors, you have managed to do both in parallel, both theatre and and screen work. I mean, you know, if you know, you look at your CV and there's. Is there any major TV show that you haven't? I mean, like, in terms of like you've done, you did a, obviously you've talked with Glenn Rowe, you've done a huge, a big stint on um, The Clinic as well, um, the kind of cult classics like um, Paths to Freedom and stuff. I know you're involved in, like, there's all the, the great TV stuff of the last 10 or 15 years that people would talk about. You've been in a lot of it. I think work breeds work. It's yeah. such a catch 22, isn't it? The more you do, the the easier you know the easier it becomes the more experience you have the you know and the more directors you get to know or take a chance with you and yeah. one will take a chance with you on the next gig um our writers will write something and then you know because it's such a small pool here in in Ireland the writers will write one thing for you and this and then they become safer they see you so i've been very lucky but i think the more you do the more better you become as it and I'm still learning I think mm. you know every every job is a learning experience and watching great people act you know how do you acting. find the difference between stage work and screen work is it is there a, a big difference for you or are the fundamentals still the same I think fundamentally you are still they're still the same sure you're still telling a story and giving a voice to a soul and a character and that all that homework has to be done and all that that investigation and questioning and putting some kind of semblance of a human being that people will believe together is the exact same in theatre as it is in television or film uh, the, then the technical difference of trusting that the, the camera is in your head or in your eye yeah. then, you know that's that's the only difference really I, th- I think personally but you're both trying to give life to a, a person and what about the buzz of of being on set versus being out there for a couple of hundred. Do you, have you a preference for either, or is that a horrible question to ask? Um, I think the nerves are still the same. I think 
There is nothing like that that opening night. I still every opening yeah. night I want to go. Why? <laughs> there are easier ways to make a living. Um, but you know, uh, that's the buzz, isn't yes. it? But I think it's the same way as going on to a film set. I remember going on to um, John Borman's Tiger's Tale, and my first day, my first scene was with Brendan Gleeson and Sean McGimmy, who are just wonderful, beautiful, talented, great, extraordinary actors yeah. and people. But my scene was I had to walk, so they had. I was in an office on the Liffey, but my the shot was me behind a window, so the, a boat had to pass on the Liffey. Uh, traffic had to be stopped on the Liffey from this window and this was my first scene and I wanted no to throw myself in wow. the Liffey but then to get it and to be you know great mm-hmm. notes from John Borman who just kind of um, conducts scenes and conducts you that that it was a great experience when it when it happened but that first I will never forget that first 15 minutes I, I wanted to die and when you're working with people as iconic as someone like John Borman is that is there ever a moment of oh dear god look at who I'm working with and, and being terrified or is it just about well no I, I deserve to be here I, and you can kind of not even that you would raise your game but you go look this is great I'm getting to play with and against the best in the world like like a um, soccer player or something no terrified okay just terrified absolutely terrified and then going <laughs> but your job is to at least pretend to be a professional actor Right. And, um, so acting the part acting of an the part actor, of the acting, acting in a movie. Yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah, that's fine, John. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't take much of deliverance. <laughs> no, absolutely. But those guys, they raise your game. You know? Yeah, man. So, what for you? What gets you excited about a new job coming up? Is it uh, is it a brilliant script? Is it a chance to work with a director that you like or that you've worked with before? Is it that's a brilliant cast? Is it purely to pay the rent for the next month? What, what are the motivating <laughs> ones for you? <laughs> All of the above, <laughs> No, I think the first one always, and it's a little, little um, um, kind of immersion in me now, uh, is that if I read something, or I'm asked to do something, and I fear, I feel the fear, then I know I'll probably end up doing this. Really? Yeah. That's the one that gets me every time. Because I go, why? Why are you so afraid of this? Uh, and then, obviously, every you know everything around that, directors, actors. But that is at the core in my belly. When I feel fear, I go, oh, well, now that's interesting. Right. Why, why do you feel that? And most of the time, it's because there's something else I need to learn. I need to <clears throat> push on and... and it's interesting then it's a challenge and then obviously to you know around that it depends on the script yeah you know it depends on you know the directors and actors but most of the time because we're we're so lucky I think Dublin is like a big ensemble yeah I think it's a very talented giant ensemble so mostly um the people around the actors in this community are extraordinarily talented it's it's always exciting working on a new show in Dublin because genuinely, I mean this, you're playing with top players, you know, and you can only learn from them. Even the, the like, I'm in awe of the young ones coming out. I've learned so much from them. Wow. I think, you know, the last show I did to Pretty She's a War in, in the project, like there's a gang of young ones coming out of Trinity, and I, I'm in awe of those guys. I really am. If I had their talent and cop on when I was coming out <laughs> of Trinity, God almighty. So, yeah. Well, 
talking about Tispiti, that was working with Selena again, and you worked yeah. with Selena a couple of times now. Yeah, yeah, um, Festin and Onion Apple and this, and yeah, she's great. She's I, I love her to bits. Yeah. I mean, I think she's an amazing director. She's What's, great. How do you find working with her? Great, really great. She's a conductor. She's yeah. again, you know, everything is 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 defined, refined, and challenging and and tough. But the best gigs are the tough gigs, aren't they? Yeah. Do you know the? Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd work with her in the morning. She's wonderful, and we're very lucky to have her. And she's a great vision as well. But yeah, she's a great visionary. So, talk to me about the business broadly. Do, is there is there one thing you would change? Is there <laughs> is there any magic bullet to fix Irish theatre? What are the best bits of Irish theatre? What, what still gets you excited about it? What gets me excited? Well, as I said to you earlier, I love going to theatre yeah. in this town um, there's always something to get really excited about and and that thing uh, what gets me excited is the people I think you're only as good as the person opposite you genuinely and I think you're only as good as the, the ensemble um, and that gets me excited and more and more I see people refining their skills and um, getting better and better and that raises your game that gets me excited and I think there's you know there's a lot of great new directors out there and please God now there's a lot of new writing coming out I think it's such a cliche and I hate it but the recession has done a lot for us <laughs> in that we're fighting like hand, you know we're really I even feel it in myself since these last two years not that anything really has changed but to go we I think the arts in Ireland has become even more important and, and and so we have to step up to the mark. Yeah, do you, I mean, do you feel that there's a responsibility on us as a theatre community or as an arts community to reflect what's going on, to challenge what's going on, to, to give people a, a window of hope somewhere? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Reflect what's going on. Yeah. And if there's hope in that, great. Maybe there isn't hope in it <laughs> okay. some of the time. But yeah, I think I think we do have a duty, be that conscious or unconsciously. Even if you're taking a part in a play, and that you want to make a choice with a character that will do this, uh, you know, that, that you can bring something of what's going on in the atmosphere at the moment or how this character would behave. And it might be necessarily about the collapse of the Celtic Tiger here in yeah. Ireland. But it's, you know, I think... As an actor, I have a responsibility to be in touch with what's going on around me to bring to either a classical play, a new play, like I'm going into a new play written by Morna Regan for Rough Magic in March, Lovely. which is a wonderful, wonderful piece of writing. And I think it's very apt for this town, town time and town, yeah. even though it's not set here. Um, but that gets me really excited too. To, well, to see more female writers as well, but to see a great voice um, and working with a great director like Lynn Parker, who is fantastic. And someone who you worked with quite a bit. Yes, and would work with again and again. Um, yeah. I think Lynn has this wonderful, great inbuilt um, uh, selflessness in her that lets people play and facilitates that wonderfully, as well as being so hugely intelligent and gifted and another visionary as well well that's the, the one thing that keeps coming up in these conversations is when people talk about directors who they love working with it, it is that thing of, of, of that really sharp intelligence yeah Wayne Jordan has that as yeah. he's another amazing sharp, he's the great combination of this big beautiful brain on him and this big beautiful heart on him and, and, and that's a, 
lethal combination in a director. And, and is one more important than the other? Is it better to have? I mean, is it better to be clued in headwise, or do you need to? Does a does a great director need to have the soul there as well? Presumably, I, I, I think every any artist needs to have a soul, don't they? Yeah. If you don't have the soul, you're kind of, you might as well go into. <laughs> should we could kind of clone great actors and great directors? We can't clone the soul, so no, this is very true. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and I think, um, I think those guys, uh, an open soul and an open heart is is, be that as an actor or a director or a designer. I think then, therefore, you have that space that anything can happen. Ambition-wise, for you, is there anything left that you really want to do, or oh is there is there anything Jesus. a burning ambition? Or I've I've always wanted to do this, or I'd love to try that, or I I wish someone would give me that part. Is there anything? Oh, there's so much, Angus, so much. But you know, I remember there was a couple of years ago where, um, after I did a view from the bridge in the gate with Chris Maloney from yeah. Law and Order, there was a chance that I would. I would work in Law and Order and was offered the part, and the green part card didn't come through in time. And there was a part of me going. I think, yeah, I never stepped out of Dublin. I've toured with shows. I've yeah. gone, you know, all around the world. I'm very lucky. There's a part of me that would love to work in a, a big TV series yeah. or, 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 or work in a film, you know, with a, you know, a part, a good parts, a great part, challenging parts, and, and to keep doing more theatre, which I, I need and I love. And, to keep working on good stuff, yeah. to keep and keep being afraid, because the day I stop, I think I know that sounds a bit horty, but <laughs> I think the day I stop being afraid, then yeah. you become you become lazy or you become you know placid and flaccid. And <laughs> for God, I don't want to see anybody see me like that on stage. And I mean, with you know, with the with the prospect of something like that going across the water somewhere shiny and and big, is that how much of a how much of a drive is there still to, to go and to go and make it like a big move from that? Or do you do you feel like you would always stay based here? I think um I, I like being based here. Yeah. Because it's such a um a nourishing community. I think we look after each other and I love getting older in this business. Because I'm actually two hundred and <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. Looking very well honest. Yes, yes. Well I just do. No, um I love basing myself here because right. of the community. Um but I would certainly like when I was in New York last year with John Gabriel Borkman, it gave me that feed again. I remember yeah. going to see loads of shows and loads of theatre and going, yeah, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to be able to work, a, uh, come away, go away and come back, come, you know. Yeah. But actually, ultimately, here I am. It's, I just love to keep being challenged by good parts, be that TV, film, radio, theatre. Yeah. I think that's the key, you know. Talk to me a little bit about the experience on Borkman. How different was it to a standard gig in the Abbey where it's all of us together and, like yeah. you say, that ensemble that we have around here in Dublin that we're, we're used to working with people. How, how different is it when, uh, to be really coarse about it, we're taking celebrities and parachuting them in? Now, exceptional actors, but, but big, well-known faces who wouldn't be working in the Abbey week in a weekend. Yeah. How, how different an experience is it? Do you know, at the end of the day, it's the same process. Right. That's what we're all having our wraps at lunchtime in the rehearsal room, <laughs> trying to learn lines. And that's what was the real kind of, you know, at the end of the day, it was the same process. Right. And that's kind of, that's kind of great, isn't it? That's the nature. Oh, that's why I love it. 
do you know, there's still people coming in their tracky bottoms going, Jesus, I was up until two o'clock in the morning trying to get this into my head. Which is great. Yeah. I mean, there was the added thing of, especially when we got to New York, yeah. there was just so many famous people coming to see the show, which was fantastic. Well, the, do, you get you to be, do you get to be a fan at that point, fairness, to some extent, in terms of people coming in, and do you get to enjoy it? Yeah, they were very, I mean, Alan and, and Alan Rickman and Fiona Shaw and Lindsay, Duncan were great. We were always introduced to people, right. and uh, yeah, like, which was great. We always, you know, met whoever was in, and who wanted obviously because we were in it as well and wanted, and because, you know, the Abbey has such a great tradition over there. You kind of, you're so proud to be with the Abbey, and like people like Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's just gone. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe you worked in the Abbey, and you've done so many. You know, that's um, amazing. So it's your duty as well to, you know represent what we have and, and then working on a Frank McGuinness text yeah. do you know like an adaptation of Ibsen by Frank McGuinness you can't go Jesus. too far over no that. you can't with John Borgen putting a lovely frock in you <laughs> you know no so yeah we, yeah that, yeah. It was, it was an exciting time yeah it was exciting brilliant so looking forward to the future then the Morner Regan play with Rough Magic yes. is coming up other than that are there any great plans to go and write plays yourself or direct oh plays God, yourself for Angus, I wish I could write you have no idea because then I wouldn't have been then downtime would be so much easier yeah. no I, I, I wish that bug would hit me like a juggernaut but unfortunately no I can't write to save my life um, but mercifully you can act pretty well so <laughs> we can just stick with that or I could um, I, I don't know maybe in years to come I, I don't I don't know I, I, I don't have a game plan right. and so at the moment I'm I'm acting and I love it and I feel really honoured and lucky to be an Irish actress it's a beautiful thing so if fans want to stay in up to date with what you're doing and following you is is Twitter a good place to find you Facebook or if the directors listen yeah. to want to give you work uh, Facebook, that's a good place to go I'm a, I'm a terrible Twitter um, <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely um, and I have a we did a, a wonderful little um, series called Roy for CBC yes, which has been hugely yeah, successful was nominated for a BAFTA last year and the first episode is coming out on the 9th of January again excellent um, stuff so that's running again how strange an experience is, is that I mean in terms of the process of, of making it how, how strange is it for you it was to do? wonderful well I never thought I'd be playing a mother of a cartoon character <laughs> <laughs> but it was great it was just wonderful it was such fun it was odd because we do one shot with Scotty, who was the actor who played him, wonderful right. young actor called Scott Graham, um, and then there was one shot without him. So you got used to it because we were doing so many scenes, you yeah. know. Um, you get used to it, you know that. Yeah, it became great. Imagine, you know, having this imaginary son. But it, it was a hoot from beginning to end. Great scripts, really clever yeah. boys. Those Jan Media guys, they're they're fantastic. Alan Shannon, who came up the series, he's. He's an extraordinary, gifted um, um, writer and um, animator. Brilliant. Well, Cathy, thank you so much for coming to have a chat with us. I really appreciate that. Yes. That's been absolutely brilliant. And uh, I look forward to seeing you many more times again in the future. Thanks so much, Angus. It was a pleasure chatting to you. <laughs> So there you have it, the wonderful Cathy Belton, one of my favourite people in the business and hands down one of the greatest actresses we have. It's an absolute privilege and honour to have her on the podcast here and uh, and apart from that I'm just delighted to be able to hang out with her for an hour in a room and just and have a chat and catch up on old times. She is an absolute superstar and, and I'm so pleased we were able to have the chat today. You know it's really interesting listening to her, to her talking about 
you know, seeing those those actors in Druid in the early days and going, you know, one day I want to be like them and then ultimately getting to share the stage with them in the Abbey because that really is exactly what happened to me. Cathy was one of the people that I was paying my money to go and see week in, week out uh, through those kind of later teenage years. And, uh, and then I found myself, uh, when I came out of drama school, up there sharing a stage with her. Just a phenomenal thing to be able to do as a young actor and as a young kind of theatre maker uh, that you do get those opportunities to, to work with your heroes and it's it's a really special feeling and it's really interesting for me in these conversations with all the different people coming from different backgrounds working in different disciplines within the theatre that for so many of us those those early experiences are, are so similar uh, it's it's great to hear it's great to hear so that brings us to our usual roundup of what's going on around town at the moment please get out there buy some tickets at the Abbey they're still running with the government inspector which uh, I had the chance to see before Christmas which is brilliant some amazing performances there well worth checking out um, Robinson Crusoe and the Caribbean Pirates is still running at the Gaiety with the brilliant Keith Hanna and Samantha Mumba and Michael Grinnell super performers down there Little Women is still going at the gate uh, that's worth getting into to see if you get a chance to. Um, Gibraltar is running at the new theatre in Temple Bar, which is uh, an adaptation along the lines of Ulysses. Anyway, it's the the new joy stuff that is now in the realm of being able to be adapted and taken and done marvellous things with. So if you get a chance, pop into the new theatre. It's where we got to play the... Uh, the festival run of Fight Night, it's a wonderful space to play really intimate theatre and, and a great place to go and see a great show. Get in there if you can. Peter Sheridan has his 47 Roses show uh, on at the Civic out in Tala. Peter's a great guy, so steeped in theatre and a master storyteller. If you get a chance to pop out to Tala, that would be well worth a visit. Um, and then as part of the first Fortnite festival, there's a show called One Man, Many Voices, which has been written by Kieran Coogan and Frida Hand. Uh, it was a commission for the festival that's a festival that if you get a chance to support at all I would really encourage you to do it the whole thing about First Fortnight is that it's kind of raising awareness about mental health issues and kind of confronting some of the prejudice that would surround it Uh, this is a really worthy cause but also I think there's going to be some really great work there so One Man Many Voices uh, will be playing as part of that you can check out all the information for that will be at firstfortnight.com and see if you can go along and see see all the shows uh, as part of that little festival and then also the brilliant thing Theatre Club, you can't keep down more energy than 100 Energizer Bunnies, are are back with their show, The Family, which will be opening in Project very soon. All the details for that will be at projectartscentre.ie. So, that's the first episode of the new year done. This podcast keeps rolling on. We will be in double figures as of next week, which is mildly terrifying, but I'm glad that's all happening. I'm glad people out there are listening, and I'm glad they're enjoying it. We'll uh, we'll keep it going as long as we possibly can. We're already uh, starting the hatch plan for who we'll have for uh, for guest on, on week 52, which of course will be the first anniversary. Uh, we'll see. I don't know if Colin Farrell's going to be free that week. Anyway, look, that's episode 9 in the books. We will of course be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.